down to the next side. We will survive in this country wilderness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging specialist, critical and survivalist. Spitting heaven's fire from his lips. Burn the same driver. Welcome, listeners, to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Though thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, you can go to a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening and the live stream is playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. And in that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail. Dot com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is also there. Full of the latest podcasts of various programs on Time for an Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this uh, chilly Sunday evening, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guests this evening, activists, organizers, community builders, founders of North Philly Peace Park here in Philadelphia, Sister Lavinia Davis, and... Possibly, Brother Tommy Joshua would be joining us this evening in conversation to talk about things going on here in the city of Philadelphia, the initiatives that Peace Park is involved in, and uh, 
all things centered around uh, community control and developing our own communities in various cities. Philadelphia just happens to be one of them. We'll get started with our special guest this evening after we break for a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use 
find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. And uh, before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia, 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm all right. Um, I'm looking forward to um, Sister Ravinia and Brother Tommy. If he can make it, I understand he had some emergency family members so matter, so we can deal with that. But I, you know, Elliot, um, this being the um, first day for the principle of Kwanzaa and Umoja being that principle about unity, I, I hope that um, all who have you know, whether they are celebrating the, you know, the holiday or the the recognition of the, um, was that the 25th as far as the celestial uh, alignment, you know, as far as the sun, or even recognizing the principle for um, community and nation building, um, which um, Umoja mean, is supposed to be the first principle that we must have in order to have a solid community um, and continue a legacy. But, you know, Ali, before we get in our conversation, I ran across something. I mean, looked at it. You know, we're always talking about the um, Negro Convention, right? And and the importance of them when we talk about unity, right? Uh, those um, men and women holding those um, conventions in order to um, be about the, what's that? sovereign governance of our society, and that is those of African descent. And I, this paragraph struck me before we go into our conversation, if it's okay for me to share as an opening, because I thought it might set the tone. Um, and, and what um, Peace Park represents to me, and, and hopefully there are many Peace Parks going on around the community in, in, in our in our in our societies in our country, um, it's it's a it's a, a one of a paragraph coming out of in 1835, the Declaration of Sentiment. That, that was the convention, one of the conventions that was held here in Philadelphia, in Wesley in the Wesley Church, and they said, "We rejoice that we are thrown into a revolution." This is 1835 where the contest is not for landed territory, but for freedom. The weapon not for cardinal, or, but spiritual. Where struggle is not for blood, but for right. And where the bow is the power of God and the arrow the instrument of divine justice. While the victims are the device of reason and the prejudice of the human, of the human heart, it is in this glorious struggle for civil and religious liberty for the establishment of peace on earth and goodwill to man 
that we are morally bound by all the relative ties we owe to the author of being to enter the arena and boldly contend for victory. This is 1835. Here are some results from a search. <laughs> is that gangster? Um, is that gangster? And is that a charge that's supposed to be continuing on from generation to generation. And and I just wanted to open that because I see what Sister Lavinia and Brother Tommy are doing and Peace Park and others, you know, that we've interviewed are doing in their different sections, continuing, you know, um, that, that sentiment, sentiment, that declaration of sentiment, you know, recognizing we're thrown into a revolution. I just thought that was interesting. You know, uh, I guess this evening, uh, we, you know, the last time we had Tommy on, uh, Sister Lavinia wasn't uh, present. And Tommy was on with uh, uh, Brother Y. King out of Seattle, uh, Charles Barron uh, out of New York, and uh, they were sharing ideas and refer- and uh, Brother Marcus up there in the uh, uh, northeast mm-hmm. section of, of uh, I think it's in the northeast. Yeah, Holmesburg. Yeah, and uh, they were sharing ideas about community building. Uh, Charles Barron was doing it from the political end, uh, which is needed. And uh, Y. King and and, uh, Tommy was doing it from the community end. Both parts working together. Right. Uh, And it was an interesting conversation when they were on with us. Uh, Since then, I think Tommy had came, not Tommy, uh, Y. King came here. Uh, and met with Tommy and, and possibly Sister Virginia and uh, and went to New York and uh, networked with Charles Barron and uh, some other uh, uh, places around the country, urban areas, um, where we are uh, predominantly populated, uh, kind of tapped into him also to kind of get things started, similar to his Africatown project in Seattle. Uh, and that was the last time Tommy was with us. So uh, I'm glad that... Uh, Representatives of Peace Parks in Slovenia. I think that's her on the line. Is this her, Richard? Uh, Seven five six zero. Okay, uh, so Slovenia. Can you hear me? Hi. How y'all doing? How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me, having us on here. Um, Brother Tommy sends his apologies. Uh, he's not going to be able to make it due to a family emergency, but. I figured, hey, you know, I think I could hold this down tonight. So, <laughs> thank you for having me. Well, I know you can. You've been you've been working uh, <laughs> with the organization for quite a while. You're one of the founding members. Uh, in fact, um, in February, uh, it'll be coming up on the tenth year anniversary, isn't it? Yes, we are coming up on the tenth year anniversary, um, and we're excited. Uh, we're excited to be able to continue to push um, black love, right? Black love of resilience, of resisting, you know, the reality that's forced upon you and coming into, you know, a new light. And I'm thankful that, you know, I was able to uh, come across the the park, the Peace Park, um, a couple years ago because I didn't know that another way in the middle of, what we would say, the hood, could really exist. We're not shown um, how to take over our own community for the betterment of us. So it's been a blessing um, 
it's been a blessing for me. I, I came a couple years ago. Um, I was a, able to be a part of the founding of the West Philly uh, Peace Park. So we have North Philly and West Philly, and we're thankful. We are extremely thankful for everyone who has supported and been involved in this journey. Uh, Sister Lavinia, uh, talk about it, because there's a couple of things that I want to uh, kind of go into. I know Richard got some things. Um, the organization that you and Tommy was involved uh, about a month ago in a, uh, a symposium on violence uh, in the community. Uh, I, I'll get to that. But first I want to talk about the struggle, uh, and it's probably still ongoing, to maintain, uh, to develop other sites, uh, the, uh, the properties, vacant properties, mind you, that have been left decaying in our communities, that community organizations such as yourself want to take over and use them to help the community, whether it's uh, uh, educational projects, whether it's agricultural projects, uh, counseling and, and helping uh, mothers with children, mentorship. Uh, t- talk about the struggle to even obtain these properties and keep uh, these things going on in our communities. Well, whew. <laughs> it's a struggle because um, I'll start with, I think that our people don't believe they deserve better. And when you don't believe you deserve better, you allow anything to happen to you, to your family, to your community. So with that, you have these different forces, these different developers coming in and saying, hmm, we like that. We want it. But we're going to wait until, you know, some people just either die because they're taking over a lot of homes where people, you know, don't have family members to come and take over. Or a lot of times people pass and they don't leave their property to anyone. So they're waiting for that. Um, You know, also you have the city buying up homes, you have PHA, different developers purchasing um, the homes and then just sitting on them and allowing them to become um, infested, allowing prostitution, drug trafficking, all of these things that are problematic and detrimental to the community to take place. And then when they see people say, wait, hold on, we do care, we do want to step up, we do want to do something, then all of a sudden everyone wants to, oh, no, I was going to, I was going to develop this. I was, we were going to do something with this. And it's like, no, you just don't want black people to take control. You don't want black people to be empowered. You don't want us to have equity. So there's a challenge there because once they realize that, okay, wait a minute, this creates equity, this creates ownership. Um, when you're developing that, you just take pride in what you build. You don't want to destroy what you're building. And I think that a lot of times they see that and they don't want us to have that feeling. So there's a struggle because there's a lack of consistency sometimes on uh, the community's part because we're too tired or, you know, we have trauma, we're struggling. So we're like, how do I have time to even fight over this property here? Like, well, I got I to gotta fight with my house. So um, they know this. 
And so getting people to understand like, okay, you have to continue to do this, it is a challenge. And like you said, it's because of the traumas that we already have that we feel like we don't have time to work together. But um, North Philly Peace Park and West Philly Peace Park has shown that we can take turns. You know, maybe you can't be here today. Maybe you can't be here tomorrow. Let me step up and let me do it. And if you come back in when you can. So um, the developers don't like that. It's a challenge for them, but it, it's working for us. People lead in the people. That's what works. Um, the community meetings that uh, that you host to to get people involved, and you mentioned about some of our people uh, feel that they don't deserve uh, some of these things, or, or I, I forgot how you put it, deserve better. Um, talk about it from that perspective. What is the response usually you, that you get from our people initially uh, when you raise these ideas about taking control of these properties, doing things to better the community, and that we can do this if we work together? Talk about some of the initial responses because, listen, I can see what has happened because you have taken control of the area in North Philly and one now in West Philly. But talk about the initial responses and the work that it takes, uh, the dedication and work. That's the that's the thing I respect among uh, people that's doing work in the communities. It takes dedication because when you meet with some groups in the beginning and you get that initial pushback and flack two, three times, some people throw up their hands and say, "Ah, shoot, I, I got better things to do. I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna do me." But mm-hmm. t- talk about it from your perspective. What, what, just give our listening audience an insight on what it takes to kind of be consistent and convince people that we can do this. Um, so one of the first things that um, I've noticed over the last couple of years throughout my time with um, organizing is that you have to have empathy for people. Without empathy, we will get nowhere. So I realized that a lot of people, um, they feel voiceless. And what I had mentioned was they feel like they do not deserve better. So because they feel like this, everything has to be a challenge. Everything has to be a fight. Um, No, this is going to be hard. This is not going to work. I don't have time for this. Uh, such and such is going to destroy it. They don't want it. Like those are the initial responses that you get. But then you start to see a gradual change and you start to, you got, you got to show people. Okay. Let me say that you have to show people that you are dedicated and committed. And the more that you're out there, they'll gradually start to engage with you. The next thing you know, they're like, oh, you need me to water this? I'm going to come water this real fast. Like, you know, the, for those that don't know, we do a lot of farming and agriculture. So they'll they'll come like, hey, let me water this. Or you need help cleaning this? Or they'll just come sit in the park, you know, and, and utilize the space that we want people to. We want you to uh, be a part of nature. We want you to, to love each other. We want you to pick from the garden. So initially, you'll notice people say why it can't work they never really talk about all the reasons that it can work 
because they're so used to uh, people giving up on them. They're used to giving up on themselves too. So when you have that mentality, when you're in that place, that negative place, you can't see good. You can't feel that good will come. You're also feeling like somebody wants something from you. Because when it comes to our people, people have always wanted things from us. They've always taken from us. They have not poured into us. So when you know that and you understand that, you take that in spaces that you shouldn't necessarily take that, but that's because you're guarded. So until, you know, we help you, we break down, you know, those layers, take away those bricks, they're like, hey, I don't know what you want. This ain't going to work. <laughs> so... That's what we noticed, but that's why we develop a lot of programs um, that's centered around mental health, well-being, and we do a lot of community wellness check-ins, like asking people, what's going on in your life? And sometimes when you ask people, how are you doing? They'll say, fine, and, you know, leave it like that, because people don't always want to know how you're really doing. But we make it a point to say, no, tell us how you're actually feeling, what's going on in your life. And we've noticed that when people feel um, a genuine connection, when they feel like you genuinely care, they want to be around more. They want to help. They want to give someone else what you just gave them, which is love. So um, those, those are the things, the biggest things that we notice. Um, how people feel about themselves is often reflected in how they behave. Okay. Uh, Richard? Like, okay, well, no, say, say that over again. No, no. As you were speaking, mm-hmm. I was wondering first, how how does the, the toll of organizing, um, because I think it's important for us as listeners to understand that this is not no easy work when you mention about the commitment that an organizer have to get, get. And, and, and therefore I'm saying this because I want us to understand that the support that organizers have to um, need from us, but um, what toll is this in the process of taking these uh, block this this land and cultivating it? What what what's the the, the stress on the organizers? Because uh, what's the stress on the organizers? I start with that. Um, it's very stressful sometimes, like. It's not necessarily um, the people that you are trying to help in the community because you're part of the community. So when you help others, you help yourself. But it's those who don't want to see um, the community grow and be developed by Black, White, African-American, New African people. So when you have that, you have so many clashes that happen and you have so much manipulation. So you always have to be alert. You have to be aware. You have to be on guard. Like, Hey, when someone looks like a friend, are they really being a friend? Do they really have my people's best interests at heart? Or are they trying to manipulate and use? One of the things that you notice is that, you know, all of the things that are positive, that are good, that you put, out there into the community, they will then try to uh, replicate that. 
So then now it's like, oh, you don't need to go to the grassroots group. Come to our group. And that's very, they do it in a very strategic way. So therefore, the things that you are providing to the community, to the people that they did not have before, um, they try to come in and do it. So you can no longer say that, like, you know, the grassroots groups are the only ones that are doing and supporting. They try to find a way to eliminate. So we always um, have to be aware of that because what we don't want is the people that do start to acknowledge and recognize that something is wrong, we don't want them then falling back into their old pattern and no longer focusing on self-determination and self-reliance. I think we watched that when it came to the politics, right? We seen that one person was out that they said was the worst person ever, only to have another person that was, hey, these people are all friends and they're doing the same thing. Now you have our people um, back sleep again. Before, when they had someone that they thought was the worst, people were uh, developing businesses. We were working together. We were more unified. It was a united front. It now is back to the individualistic uh, perspective that Brother Elliot was, that mentioned um, not too long ago. So we always have to keep that in mind. So it, it's extremely stressful sometimes, but it's very rewarding when you see that you make a difference in someone's life. So you just have to keep a balance. And, and in, in, in your response, you, you, you alluded to, and, and it kind of led to my second question in the sense of, because I know um, in the area there was um, different forces. And, and what I would like um, you do, if it's possible, to help us by identifying based off of the experience um, because these kind of forces, it seems to exist, not just, say, in Philadelphia, in Peace Park, North Philadelphia, or West Philadelphia, but anywhere. Um, can, can, so that, that boils down to this question. Um, from the experience that you had specifically, how, how would you label those forces that would be considered um, opposition? I mean, uh, yes. Who, who is the opposition in organizing uh, a com- you know, to, to make the community better and being self-reliant based off of your experience? Well, I will give you uh, a very real example. Um, one example was when we decided to take over the houses or reclaim the houses on a block um, where we, you know, farm and garden and stuff. We decided that, okay, you know what, the houses, there's drug trafficking, there's uh, sex trafficking, you know, prostitution and stuff, like, it was just horrible. And it was not a safe space for our children, for anybody to be at or to be near. People were breaking in constantly, with different things happening, and it smelled terrible. So we wanted to uh, originally, like, purchase with the houses and we said, hey, is it, you know, on the market, et cetera. And everything was, you know, it was like, no, it's not, um, this is ours, blah, blah, blah. And then it went silent. When COVID happened, we said, hey, listen, um, and this was PHA and ownership. We said, listen, you know, different, um, the archdiocese, people reached out to us and hey, since we already um, 
have food giveaways and food programs, they said, you know, would you be willing to make this a location where you can give out more food? You just need a refrigerator um, to be able to, you know, make sure everything is safe and to store it. And when we reached back out, that was denied. So we had to make a decision. Do you leave this like this, which is harmful, detrimental? Um, people are looking for family members who are in these houses getting high because they have somewhere to be getting high, right? So they don't have to go home. Um, and we had to make the decision, like, no, we choose life. Like, our slogan is bring black life, right? Protect black life. Don't take it. So we made the decision. We're going to go in there and we're going to clean it up. But the example was in that instance, THA was problematic. It was opposition. THA is Philadelphia Housing Authority. Am I right? Yes. Yes. So we told them, which many people tell these different groups that these different developers who have these properties, hey, this is falling apart or these activities are happening and we want to change this. We want to do better. We want to clean it up. We want to straighten it up. And that's often denied. So when you come into the neighborhoods in the black communities, it's not the residents that are just disregarding it all of the time. That's not the case. They're being told that they can't do anything to it, that they can't change it, that they can't fix it. So when you see this, this destruction, that's what's happening. And then you have people that get so tired of it that they move out of their communities and sell their properties for dare near nothing. And then you have it being gentrified once again. So in our case, when it came to houses, um, it was PHA that was the opposition, along with some other um, little coalition groups and stuff that weren't for the betterment, I would say, of, of the black community, in my opinion. And you say these other coalitions that would be like, um, what they call them, um, nonprofit organizations, non-government yeah. organizations that that yeah. operate within the, in the community supposedly for the best interest of the community. Um, yeah. Um, and, and later, Elliot, I want to, you know, come back if we have time, to, you know, because something you raised about, you know, um, what the people are going through. And I wanted to really, you know, explore that. But, but I understand that you broke ground for uh, a school. Can you explain, I mean, what the, the vision, the, the process that you went through for this groundbreaking um, um, outdoor um, education facility? Um, what is it and what is the process that you, that you had to go through in order to, and what is it supposed to do? Okay, wow, yes, we are excited about this. Um, the STEM Pavilion, it is the Salakator STEM Pavilion, and we are determined to teach our babies and even adults. So the focus is K through adulthood. Um, and we want to make sure that we are teaching in an African-centered way and also with knowledge itself. So too often, um, our children are not introduced to that. We are not introduced to that sometimes. So we want to make sure that we are focusing on that and teaching about, um, you know, engineering, focusing on the sciences, technology, mathematics, um, robotics, like all of the things that 
we don't always have access to, and we want to make sure that we are dealing with um, quality, quality educators, people that actually care and are invested in the children and the community and liberation. That's really important to us. So we are in phase one. Um, we raised money for, for phase one for the school to start being built, but now we are raising more funds because we're like, we have to do it ourselves. Like we have to get this done. Um, not a lot of people wanted to support it, to be honest. Um, a lot of people have not necessarily supported it, but a lot of people have. So we're thankful for that. We are thankful for people that have supported. But um, the main thing is we're saying, hey, you can't give me, tell me one thing that would be wrong with building a school for our children. Like there is no negative in that. So as a people, we have to start thinking about and seeing the light and helping each other when we're doing positive things, when we're doing things that can be extremely impactful um, for the young people and for the community. So the education, like as many people know, we would go inside of schools and universities and stuff, but we also realized that we're on a land and we're teaching, but young people need a school to go to. And instead of asking, asking these institutions over and over again to um, care about our children, right? We're constantly asking the people that we say are oppressors to teach our children and to save our babies. How exactly does that work? So instead of going and arguing with the districts and different people about, you know, the lead, water, all these different things and the lack of quality when it comes to educators, we decided let's have solutions. Let's be solution oriented. Let's build our own school. It's small, it's going to start small, but we know it's going to grow. So right now we are having, um, they're working on the foundation, um, getting the framing done and stuff. So that's phase one and we're going into phase two. So we are asking people um, to help us. We are raising the funds. We're saying, you know, donate whatever you can, um, share the information, come out and see how you can help because we do take uh, volunteers, people that, you know, know a little bit, a bit about construction things like that. So however you can help, please come out and help. Please donate um, so we can get this building. We can get it completed. You, you know, Ellie, as a, you know, pass back to you, the, the, the thing about this, the, why I'm, I'm engaged about with these um, um, young, um, and you know, I get to say young, right, 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 right. <laughs> women are, um, women and men are doing is because here they confiscated space that was not like just lots right empty lots eyesores they transferred it transformed it into a gardening space i mean you know and then transform um continuing that transformation like with into creating this uh, educational facility at the same time motivating people to be self-aware self-confident and the bureaucracy you know, Philadelphia Housing Authority, and they are saying that that's not a good thing. I have to ask this to you, Ellie. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it makes sense if we realize the system that we're living in. Mm. 
that's always against anything positive that we're doing. And if they're not, it's always a facade, like they're for something positive that black folks are doing, but they have to be in control of whatever it is that they consider positive. They don't want black people doing anything of their own initiative. That's, that's the reality of what we're dealing with. And the right. thing is that you've got black people. I mean, we already know how our oppressors feel. And if we don't, we should. Just like uh, Sister Venus said, it's an educational process that has to go on sometimes. But the thing is, we got folks that look like us that play the same game that these other people are playing, and it's dangerous because our children's lives are at stake. Now, I, I, I do want to kind of shift gears a little bit, Sister Lavinia, um, and, and then we'll come back to some of the initiatives that's going on because that's really where we want to focus. Uh, but let's talk about some of the things that the reality of some of the situations. Um, this violence is happening in our communities. It's happening all over Philadelphia. But if you look at the television, and other news sources is happening just among black folks in black communities. Uh, so right now, let's deal with what's going on in our community. Now, in this brief conversation that we have with you and the listening audience listening to you, we talked to you now for about 25 minutes, and you talked about several ideas that not only were ideas, but became working functions in the community. Uh, you're not a politician, per se. You're not an elected official. And you can come up with these solutions, workable solutions. How frustrating is it for you to deal with people that is in an elected office that is, whether they're state representatives, whether they're Congress people, council people, or whatever, in these communities that come up with no solutions to help our people. And when you talk about violence, the only thing they can come up with is hosting the church and having a gun buyback where they give you a $100 certificate to go to a fresh grocer or to shop right. I mean, how frustrating is it when you see nothing, no solutions being put forth that are innovative? You talk about it from that perspective before we go a little deeper, Sister Lavinia. It's extremely frustrating because, you know, you, I always start with, and I, I ask people, I say, you know, when you're looking out into your community and you know, you hear about the violence, right? What do you see? Who who do you see walking through your community first? Okay, now picture that. And at this point in time, a lot of our communities have been completely gentrified, right? So you look out and you may see a white person with their dog, their pajamas on, living their best life, right? No concerns, no worries. You look out, you see some of us, you know, joking, laughing, or, or crying and struggle, whatever. But when you hear about who was murdered, 
it wasn't the person that was just walking down the street with their dog in pajamas on, not caring about anything, not seeing what's happening in the world. It's always us. So how is this possible? <laughs> how are we the only ones in the community being murdered? Senseless murders, right? I mean, by stray bullets. I mean, everything, right? Not so People that are killed are not even the intended targets sometimes, right? So I'm like, how is this happening? And to me, it's infuriating because no one or, or not enough of us are asking that specific question and challenging those who are out here in the street saying, oh, I didn't mean to kill this person. I didn't mean to do this and that, but we're the only ones that are suffering right now, the only ones being brutalized. And they know what's happening to politicians out here. They see it, and they want to act like it's something that is not. They don't call it out. They don't say, yeah, this neighborhood is gentrified, but, you know, these people aren't getting hurt and murdered. It's just Black people. So why is that happening? What's going on? How are they being protected from these these stray bullets, from these robberies, from these different things that's happening, but we're not? Why do they have, you know, access to the resources just for the mental health piece, just for the wellness? Because that's really an issue right there. The fact that we can look at somebody else that looks like us and hate them. That's a reflection of how we feel about ourselves deep down inside, honestly. So we don't have access to quality health care. And the health care part is actually being able to see a therapist, actually being able to talk about the traumas that you face and how you felt like nobody cared about you, so why should you care about others? We know this, but you'll see people come on the television or, you know, in the community and say, hey, give them this free turkey, it's Thanksgiving. You know, give them some shirts, it's, it's, it's Christmas Kwanzaa, and tell them, oh, you know, we're here for you. Let's get some help, but really it's nothing behind that. So it's extremely infuriating because if this was happening in the suburbs of, or other communities, this level of violence, there would be major intervention, major resources going on. Not even them trying to, like, incarcerate people, but literally trying to get to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in our community when it's majority black people in high power position, right? Which we know that they take orders from others, but that's another story. But you're the face. You want it to be the face of this. So how do we hold you accountable? Why are we not holding you accountable? So for us to come and say, you know what, we don't need to have the money to do this because we're not we're not getting funded for this. A lot of people have seen the initiatives that we're doing about the violence, which is we're like have accountability for your actions. Like we don't go around saying, you know, the, the black on black and this and that. We're like we have to have accountability for what we're doing to ourselves and each other. Our life and our loved ones' lives depend on this. It depends on the honesty and the accountability. So We're not getting paid. We're not the group that's like, hey, y'all getting funding for this? No, we're not. (laughs) But we know that you don't need money to have a heart. You don't need money to build alliances with other people that look like you, that care. 
So the fact that we could be so impactful in this short amount of time, it really leaves me wondering and scratching my head, like, what the hell have people been out here doing all this time? Wow. This is Lavinia. Um, I think it was a a short while ago I saw something on the uh, television uh, about that uh, um, forum that they had on violence. Uh, Tommy was going door to door, and I'm quite sure you were out there with them, uh, trying to recruit people to uh, police our own communities. I think it was in the West Philly area. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Talk about that initiative and uh, the need for our people to get out on the streets. You know, you you see whether it's the the police commissioner, the mayor, uh, these council people talking about we need more cops. Uh, uh, Some elected officials calling for the National Guard to come in. Uh, Talk about the need because... Uh, you, you sisters and brothers, was out there trying to get the community involved in policing our own communities. Uh, talk about that from that perspective and the need to get our people really involved. Yeah, so um, we got tired of hearing about the senseless murders, and we made a decision. Like, we already had our uh, Bring Black Life Coalition where it was about us having a united front and, and coming together, especially um, nationalists, and, and standing on our word and practicing what we preach as a collective. Sometimes we all fall short on it. So we wanted to come together. And we decided, okay, you know what, we need to put this message out here, us talking to us and saying, no shooting, no killing. We don't take black life. We bring black life. And it was, you will have black power when you have black peace, black peace through black power. So, you know, we took to the streets and then we joined a partnership with the House of Emotion. Now, this was so important because they had the House of Emotion, Queen Mother and her late husband, um, David Fattah, they had a no gang war in 1974 where over 85 gangs signed uh, a a peace pledge and saying that they would not engage in gang war anymore. And they've kept that promise all of these years, Brother Elliot, all of these years. So it was gangs coming together, community people agreeing to have boundaries agreeing that the bloodshed needed to stop. So when they say it can't be done, that's just simply not true. It has been done. So for us, this partnership, we formed the Partners in Peace um, and said, you know what? We did it once, we can do it again. And we're working together. And so we decided, we said, okay, you know what? Let's do um, Thanksgiving. Let's start with Thanksgiving. And let's do the Black Family Ceasefire. No shootings, no killings. And, you know, for that uh, week, that went from November uh, 22nd to November 29th. And we went door to door throughout that week. We had our shifts at 12 o'clock and one at 5 o'clock. So every day 
during that week, we went out and we knocked on doors, we gave flyers, we flyered cars and stuff. We talked to people. We actually had a couple interventions too with um, some domestic disputes. You know, you never know what you're going to run into. Um, and we were able to resolve all the issues we came across. And we were able to meet people that said, I give my word and I will spread it that no violence, no violence this week. And what we seen, the result of that was the statistics show no incidents of fatal or non-fatal gun violence in Carroll Park um, zone during Thanksgiving week. So that was major. It showed you when Black people decide, new Africans, when we decide that enough is enough and we want to come together, we can do it. So after that, we said, okay, you know, we want to do the Christmas Kwanzaa one. So this is round two. We're actually in the middle of that. It started December 20th, and we're going to go until January 1st. And with this, we have um, two times where it's 12 noon and then another one at 8 o'clock at night, which is a little bit later. But we wanted to kind of reach people during, you know, the holiday time where people are out a little bit later, maybe partying or different things. So we just wanted to, you know, be visual in a community. And we call it village building. Like we're like, we're just out here, village building, um, being alert, building with the people, keeping the peace. So, you know, we act that also came with the 10 10 10 strategy plan and basically we were calling for a uh, hundred men and women that are impacted by the community to donate just two hours per day for the ceasefire right and um come together negotiate a mutual code of conduct because this is what we're, we're getting into with the communities we have to have this community agreement and it's with 10 um, teams of 10 which um, uh, they have, you have some counselors, you have some uh, conflict resolution, um, security of course, of course um, organizers, economic um, specialists, like just a group of 10, teams attend where you can, whatever you're gonna run into, you have people there to help and resolve. So we are in round two. And that's what we're working on. And like I said, for Thanksgiving, we made a difference. We saved lives. Working together, people coming together, agreeing to do better, it saved lives. Not more money, not cops, not, you know, being uh, the politicians, none of that. Just people coming together around love and around peace. So I, I'm I'm really happy about that. That has been a blessing to to see that um, unfold the way it did over Thanksgiving break. Sister Lorena, uh, the ten 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 agreement. You talk yeah. about it was a community agreement, um, and you might have already just said it. But t- talk about that. The, the, is it a ten point plan, or would it explain it to, that in brief? Maybe that ten 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 agreement. Yes, the ten 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 is um that's what is like with the strategy, um, but it's teams to get to the hundred, right? So the teams of ten, ten teams of ten. Okay. And the goal is 
to um, really reach the people, those that need help in whatever way. So you may come to, some people may just need counseling. Some people are like, look, I'm okay, but I need to figure out how to build, how to get equity. I need, you know, resources. The economic thing is, is, is bugging me. So you'll have somebody that on the team that can work with them, um, somebody that can teach self-defense for protection. You know, when we're out here in these streets, like, unfortunately, you you may get attacked. So you need to be able to defend yourself, especially young children, um, women, even, you know, our brothers. So um, you'll have somebody on the team for that. Um organizers you'll have people that know how to organize people that can help you you know through different times so <clears throat> that's what the 10 10 10 um, strategy is and then expanding really for recruitment bringing more people in that either have those uh qualities those traits or that are willing to learn so it's a constant thing putting people in different um areas of the city Last time we focused on Carroll Park, this time we had six neighborhoods. So even this time, you know, we started out with um, House of Emoja, but the Philly Truth app folks, they also uh, joined. They said, hey, you know, we want to get in on this too. Like we, let's join forces. So they joined um, during Thanksgiving time. And then this time as well, they joined um, with the, um, no killings, no shootings. So it's growing. We're happy that people um, are realizing that, hey, you don't need a lot of money to talk to your own people. You know, you just need to be driven. You just need to be focused. You just need to care, honestly. And I think that so many folks are not caring right now. You become desensitized. That's why we're in the state that we're in. If, if I may, Ellie, can I just, um, in relationship to that, uh, the, something to the question you had, is there the, the political stuff? I mean, in our in our communities, we have division. I mean, yeah, divisions and, and wards. Um, this strategy, it seems to say that people have to be directly engaged in the community, that there's people organized that are knocking on people's doors and providing services. Uh, is those those entities have you experienced those entities within the in phase one and as you interface to those entities in the political that are community based get elected and the, and the, and religious people are they um, sent out any offering of support? So we um, we made it a point to reach out to all of the faith-based uh, leaders, healers, um, community activists, like just everybody. We said, hey, let's try to pull as many people in as possible. Um, the brother that heads up the Philly Truth app, he reached out um, to some people as well, and he did a, a press conference um, during the, the, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, and he had some people come out. So I think the Urban League came out. Um, it was a couple of people that came out for that. Um, on our end, we had, um, because of Queen Mother, like Queen Mother has had a relationship 
um, with so many people for so many years because of her work, her and her husband's uh, work. So she had different people that said, okay, let's, let's support this. Let's see, you know, what's happening? What are you guys talking about? So we did have uh, Curtis Jones. He spoke. He came out um, twice. He committed to this. He said, I'm going to commit. I'm going to do my part. Um, so he came out. Um, Sister Purple, she came out. Um, like these different people are saying, okay, we're going to do our part. And she, her and her husband, they have meetings and stuff every Thursday. Um, and she's working on things. So it looks promising in terms of the different uh, fronts uniting, the different sections coming together and saying, okay, we can make a difference. Let's start small. Let's start with just giving information and handing out where people can go get resources. So it, it, it's been pretty good on that end. However, um, there are so many politicians that have not come out, that have not supported. And that I don't understand because, you know, the districts that we're in, um, if we're in your district, you should be out there. You should be supporting. So um, Brother Leon did come out. Um, and, and his daughter, she did come out. Like for round one, they did come out. Um, but there's so many people that just need to come out and, and support because you hear a lot of reports saying, oh, the violence and people are killing each other and this and that. But when you have um, people being solution-oriented, there's not a lot of backing behind it. So we go, What we're going to do, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, uh, we got some calls on the line. They probably want to ask you a question or two. Uh, you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation with activists, organizer, community builder, and one of the founders of North Philly Peace Park, Sister Lavinia Davis, is with us. And you can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. And just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And uh, 
For instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over a hundred billion dollars in reparations and gets four billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over two hundred million dollars and they get two twenty-one million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America... We know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He's going to still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kinte. That scene opens 
with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes. And study the scene. Study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's, a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 817 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And we're, <clears throat> our guest this evening, activist, organizer, and community builder, and one of the founders of North Philadelphia Peace Park, Sister Lavinia Davis, is with us to talk about some of the initiatives that the organization is doing coming up on its 10th year anniversary. Uh, Sister Lavinia? Yes. Uh, before I go to the phones here, because there's a couple callers here on the line, let me say something in reference to <clears throat> the collage that we just heard, because uh, a couple of the folks that was in the collage said some important things based on what we're talking about this evening. And I want to go to the last one, which was Cynthia McKinney, and she said that on this program. I happened to cut that out and made it a collage when she gave that example of Kunta Kinte and blacks that were involved in beating him, blacks that mm -hmm. act like they want to intervene with the boss and dozens standing there watching. And I see what uh, you and the, and the other sisters and brothers over there at Peace Park are trying to activate those folks that are watching because 
some of the people, and we got to realize when she said at the end of that thing that we got to call out names in our community and do something mm-hmm. about that. Some of the folks that you named, like Curtis Jones, for example, I was at a meeting at church at Penn Memorial when the community didn't want him to name that street after good. And he told mm-hmm. the community he didn't care what they thought. He was going to do it because he was his mentor, which has nothing to do with the community. That's something personal. If mm-hmm. he wants to be a political entrepreneur, let him go ahead and do that. But don't do that at the expense of black people. Mm-hmm. Sister, uh, 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 Mother Queen Mother uh, uh, Fatah and her husband did great work in the community and still doing it. But mm-hmm. their son went up there and betrayed the trust of the community and end up in prison, and it just, his son followed him. So we got to be real. I mean, that might be somebody's personal friends, their relatives, and I ain't trying to insult anybody, but we got to be real, and we got to call it out. Right, right. They was in positions and- that could help the community, and you see what they did, and the community is still in bad shape and sometimes even worse shape. So we yeah. can't make those mistakes. I'm glad that, that you and the organization got the 10-point uh, the, uh, the 10, 10, 10, and get the community's commitment on a lot of these things. Because some of these people get in office and their commitment is to the Democratic Party. It's not to the community. Right. I just want and to... And I'm big on stand on what you, what you said. So in order for um, some of these partnerships to work... Or, and then... Uh, let me say, there are some partnerships and then there are some people that um, say, I will do my part. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have a partnership with someone. It means that if someone shows up and they say, how can I contribute? And they hit the ground, they do their work, mm-hmm. then that's what you allow them to do. Um, but I'm big on reflection. And I think that um, somewhere within the community, we lost uh, empathy um, for each other, right? And we hold on to so many things. And part of that is because, A, we don't address them when they need to be addressed, right? Okay. Um, We don't confront the issues head on, and then we don't face and then deal with and move forward. So I know there's challenges that, I've had throughout the years of me uh, organizing, saying, okay, well, do I want to work with this person or that person? Because I'm like, I don't give a damn. I don't want (laughs) to, like, I go through that at times and I challenge myself. I challenge myself to say, you know what, Um, in this space, in this time, in this moment, what is this person showing me? What are they giving right here? And I just had a discussion with someone earlier. It's so funny. We were talking about um, change, right? And we were saying that um, sometimes people change. And will you hold them to the person they were yesterday or will you hold them to the person they are today? Because we were talking about how um, he was another, he's another organizer, how him and some organizers went out after someone was killed. And a person in the community came to them and said, well, where was y'all at last week? Why wasn't y'all here? And, you know, that created a whole discussion for us because it was like, well, what about if someone at 11.58, they was just the worst person around, but 12 p.m. 
12 p.m. came and they said, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be somebody different. I want to be a better version of myself. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? Do we keep you in your dirt or do we allow you to, uh, I guess some people would say repent, right? Do we allow you to grow? Do we allow you to change? Um, I don't believe in being a fool for anyone, right? We should not do that. Um, But we have to create a space of healing and forgiveness and enlightenment and accountability. I'm big on accountability. So as these different relationships uh, develop, as some are formed, as some grow or even some are strained, um, we have to keep that in mind. Uh, Tommy mentions all the time the coalition of the heart and coming together around that and seeing more about our commonalities than our differences. But also holding people, yes, I believe in holding them accountable. So I I 100% agree with you. Um, We have to mention names and we have to hold people accountable for their stuff. And there has to be apologies. There has to be people changing and righting their wrongs or you can't move forward. So I I, I do agree with you. I definitely do. But like I said, um, leaving that room for what happens with growth and with change. How do we grow as as a people, as, as a group, as, you know, a collective? Is there a future for that? And if it is, how do we get there? How does that look? Okay. All right. I understand. Let's uh let's take a couple of these calls. Uh four four, four four, are you there? Four four. Hey, what's up, Elliot? How are you, sir? Hey, I'm still learning, man. Good show, man. It's a good show and I like what my sister doing, man, and she keep on doing what she's doing. But uh hey, I got something to tell you about uh about the election in Georgia, maybe later on, because you can discuss it that now. But uh, if you can, I, I'll tell you later on so when the election get close to it or something, because I don't want to break the flow of the sister you got on there. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, we'll talk. Okay. Well, you just put me on hold or something, and then uh, maybe if you get, get me back to me later on tonight or something, man, uh, it, it, it's something good. I'll do that. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Uh, let's go to Oberlin, Ohio. Uh, John, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes. Question or comment for, I guess. Uh, I mean, I was listening. Um, I wish I really had a good question, but I I was just more interested in just, you know, just understanding, you know, how, you know what I'm saying? Just how the better, just the dynamics of organizing how we, the stuff we got to go through. Okay. All right. I'll put you back on hold. Thank you for your contributions, sir. Let's go to 267. 267. 267, are you there? Um, And and Brother Elliot, I can, for for the statement that the brother was making, I would say it is a challenge. You know, it's a challenge every day. And one of the things that we did with at the Peace Park was we created a series that's called Building While Healing. Yes. And it's um, about how do you continue to build as you heal? Because a lot of times people say, I'm just going to stop everything. I'm just going to stop the work. 
And that's not the answer. It's really not the answer. But you do have to do what you need to heal. So how does that look? What does that mean? Maybe you can't um, come out, right? You can't come out to this uh, to this event or to this program. But maybe you can do some of the administrative work to get the program going. Like, you know, there's many different things um, that you can do to continue to contribute. But stepping off or, as we would say, falling back or being out, is, is, that's not an option okay. because we are dying out here on all ends. So, you know, it's constantly a challenge. Like, I be talking to myself, y'all. I talk, like, it's, it's a process. You got to talk to yourself sometimes just to make it through the day, you know, just to make it through the week. So don't ever think that it's impossible or it's all uh, darkness or it's all light. That's, that's just simply not true. Like, your days will vary. There will be all types of things that you go through, but you have to know that you're going to come into contact with people that are traumatized and how you handle that and what you do that's where you'll see how you've grown so yeah okay and you know Elliot, you know, i i really you know i went to one of their a uh, couple of the workshops that peace park had and sister lavinia lavinia um was you know her and other sisters were um handling that because when you're out here and you get frustrated, um, you know, you know, the time and just engaging in people and, and not getting the kind, you know, I know you, you speak about all the time as far as the uh, faith-based community, the political community and, and adding in there, the, um, was that those non-governmental, those people that you would think, as you asked earlier, would, um, who have resources that would be, um, coming up with a creative, innovative, really basic program, like getting and knocking on people's doors and asking what, what they, what do they need from you? You know, not what you, what they have to give you, what do they need from you? And they're right there, not on television, not in the newspaper, not in the gossip, but somebody, you know, the image of like the Jehovah witnesses, you know, like, damn, you know, they coming. And, but, you know, sometimes you just feel like engaging with them because they're there, right? Or they're regularly there. And, it, you know, and we don't have, we, we, you know, we, we don't have anything, which leads me to a question, you know, that going circling back um, to Slovenia. And I, I don't know to what degree were you able to do that, but it's interesting to me because of the clip that you played, Elliot, with, with, um, Sister McKinney, in the sense, the people standing on the side, and you said, Sister Lavinia, oh, what's going on in people? Like in talking to people, they have and challenge. What have? What is it that's in our community based off of that 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 interaction? What, what is the people saying? You know, um, that's going on in their lives. Is it? I mean, have you already just said it, or is it more you can be able to share? of what is the, the the pain that makes someone their child or, um, want to purchase a gun and kill somebody? What is the pain that, you know, makes um, people not really look at their community and, and, and shut their doors or, or close their ear? Is this something that you've experienced or heard that in the engagement of, you know, community 
that give you some insight into um, and for us, uh, what is it that we're going through? So as not just being a, a community organizer, like for years, um, you know, I went to school for psychology and criminology. So I had to study crime in the mind and what was going on and why people um, commit these crimes. So on top of uh, studying that, you know, since I was uh, 18, and then being a domestic violence counselor and actually talking to people um, on on that end, like as a counselor and then as an organizer, hearing abuse, like an abuse within the home or it happening to you by people that you trust. And it is swept under the rug. It is disgusting, it's a disgrace how we treat it as a people. Um, we are in denial, or some people just don't care, or we're nonchalant with it. But I'm telling you, I am telling everyone listening, the people that are out here in the streets, a lot of them have been raped, molested, have been beaten throughout their childhood, even adulthood. So when you see people out here and you say they don't care about nobody, the thing that they're thinking is nobody cared about me. Nobody came to save me. So why should I care? And I'm not telling you to say that that's right. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm saying is try to have empathy and try to teach that person why what they're doing is wrong and how it can't change their past, but they can help prevent this from happening to someone else. There's so much rage and so much anger because of this. You wouldn't believe how many men that I've counseled that said at the age of five and six that they were raped and molested. And now it impacts your relationships. Some people struggle with uh, sexuality. Some people struggle uh, with, with their performance, even with, with their mates, because they go back to a time, to a place where, you know, they were violated, where they didn't have a voice, where they couldn't speak up. So it's not just happening, um, you know, with the opposite sex, it's happening with the same sex in between. So there is so much trauma and pain there. There's so much rage because you felt like you had no control, you couldn't do anything. Um, and then being beaten down verbally, emotionally, mentally, by the person that's supposed to love you the most, by your parent, being called stupid, being told that you're incompetent, you're never going to be anything. Like, if somebody says something mean to you, you know how that impacts you. Like, throughout your day, you may be a little upset, you may be angry. Imagine being told that almost every day of your young life, and even your teen life, adult life. What do you think that does to a person eventually? Mm. So these are things that we have to start thinking about. It's not excuses. I don't make excuses for people. It's just the truth. It's the reality. So um, that's the number one thing that I've noticed. And then people obviously coming from homes where their parents or loved ones use drugs. So there is negligence. Like there's so much neglect there. Um, <clears throat> 
obviously people being left at home so the parent can go get high or whatever. Or in some case, cases, the parent selling their own child. So these are all things that we have to keep in mind when dealing with someone, like when asking, why are they so angry? Thinking like, hmm, I don't know what happened to this person when they were growing up. Like I do a lot of um, psychodynamic therapy, which starts with your childhood and going from there, figuring out, okay, this happened, this triggered you at this age, at this point, and you changed after that and you've never been the same. So let's deal with this issue. We have to start doing that. We have to take the initiative to do that when we come into uh, contact with people that we may not uh, agree with, people that may just be disagreeable just to be disagreeable. We have to take the initiative. We have to have leadership in that. You know, Elliot, when we had Sister Tyranny, I think it was on, mm-hmm. on book, um, you know, and she was talking about the, I was at the um, foster care system. And when I was listening to Sister Levini, I was thinking of, you know, that same um, abuse when we talk about, because the, the political system um, abuses us, right? I mean, in the sense of not providing the resources, whether that's in the school, whether it's in the neighborhood, and then, you know, they're, they're not being able to provide the kind of economic. I'm wondering if all these abuses when we talk about the violence that's in our community right now, especially in Philadelphia, I know in other large cities, is it, you know, Sister Levine gave these interpersonal dynamics, and then we kind of bring out the social political dynamics. Is that um, what we're seeing as a manifestation from all of that abuse? Oh, cert- I certainly agree that it is. I, I know, I, I'd like to hear Sister Lavinia's uh, opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know people that have literally been raped by biological parents um, that they still have in their life. But can you imagine the struggle, the internal issues that they have to even justify allowing someone who has done that, violated you in those ways, um, to still be in your life? be, you know, in, in your children's lives, um, in, in the people that you care about lives, like, because you know this person is a predator. You know what's going on with this person. So to even allow them when you haven't even healed from what they've done to you, um, and your your history shows it, right? Your history shows how you've responded and reacted and lived your life just based off of those incidents that happened. So people are struggling, and they haven't even gotten away from the people that caused the pain. So when you see them unable to function in school, right, when you see a young person coming to school late or not wanting to leave school or sleeping in school, it's like you have some people that are in shelters, so they can't sleep or they'll be attacked. You have some people at home, they can't sleep because they're afraid, they're terrified that the person that is violating them, raping them, will come into their room if they go to sleep. So they have no peace. So you think a person that has no peace at home, at school, wherever, is going to give you peace outside in the street? 
Like these are things that we have to ask ourselves. Um, but we want to create this new reality, right? We want to provide the love and the resources that we have access to. And when I say we, I mean all of us on the call, the listeners, like if I know someone who has a resource, they should know someone who has a resource. They know someone who has a resource. That means that we can get this young person or adult the resources that they need. Um, our seniors are suffering. I remember, uh, I know Brother Rich, you remember we had a presentation on uh, seniors and homelessness. Mm-hmm. People don't realize how many seniors are homeless. That is a problem. Our elders have worked and given years and the best of themselves to their children, to their grandchildren, who they're raising again, um, to their community, only to be thrown out and to be discarded and treated as if they're disposable. We got a problem. We are a problem. And I think about um, the song Self-Destruction, and it was like, you know, not only does America have a serious problem, but we, our people, have a serious problem. And we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. Let's go back to the, let's go try 267 again. 267, are you there? <clears throat> let's go to 215. 215? Good evening, Brother Elliot. How you doing, my brother? No worries, sir. I'm doing pretty good. Hey, Brother Richard and Sister Lavinia, how you doing, my dear sister? Hey, how you doing? Peace, brother. Peace to you too, Sister Lavinia. I am pleasure to talk to you tonight. Well, a couple of things, Sister Lavinia, on, your, on some of your last commentary, like you said about our people. You know, I don't condone what some of these people, our people doing the community, but just the old proverb goes, Sister Lavinia, hurt people, hurt people. I mean, it's no question, no getting around that. Hurt people do hurt people. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you echo many of my sentiments. When you was talking earlier, you first came on talking to Brother Ellie and Brother Richard about these black politicians. I've said many times, Lavinia, on this station, as well as the black radio station, talk station here in Philadelphia, every time one of these misguided or wayward brothers or sisters commit a horrific crime in the black community, do I definitely blame them to a large degree? Sure, I do, but I also... I, I, my, my resentment towards these black politicians is, is, is just as much equal, Sister Lavinia, or, or more. And the reason why I say that, because they're in a position to alleviate a lot of this, because they're in positions of power, whether they're on the city, state, or federal level. They have access to resources, things that can, that can stop a lot of this crime and, and helplessness and despair. And these sorry Negroes refuse to do it. Like when Ella was telling you about Curtis Jones a few minutes ago, well, like I said, you got the, 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 count, the city council president, Dow Clark, who is black. He was caught on tape, Sister Lavinia, saying about how he don't want another damn dime from the parking authority to go to our schools. Because as you know, the parking authority is supposed to provide a certain amount of financial aid to, to schools in the city of Philadelphia. And Lord knows our schools need them more than anything, schools in the black community. I mean, yet with all these black people in power, we have so many so-called black people in power. You've had so many schools schools closed in the black community, schools that have been historic in, the, in our schools, cities, and, 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 the, uh, and, the, and the box 
Blacks and all these schools that, that have been closed in the black community, schools that have caused, caused a, a ripple effect on the black community, and it's caused, started a lot of violence because these kids have to go out of the neighborhoods of Slovenia to other schools where they could go to a school in the neighborhood, and that's where these silly rivalries start that escalate a lot of the violence. So so that's why, like I say, I, I get I get more and more upset with these Negroes because, they again, they don't stay in a position to, to, to stop a lot of this. But you got people like Dale Clark who's pretty much telling the black community, excuse you, you know what I mean? But but he can sit up there and, and him and his cronies and stuff like Curtis Jones and them, they can sit up there and say, well, they, they don't want to be around Larry Krasn, the DA, but they sit up there with, with a convicted like Bobby Hannon. I mean, it's the kind of foolishness that we're dealing with and stuff, you know what I mean? They, and it was rumored that Dale Clark even let – the, the convicted union leader Johnny Dock take over. I mean, it's just the kind of stuff that we deal with in this. And you wonder why our people sit up and suffering. And you got black people in position of power that don't do the things that they can do to make things better. In other words, the meaning you talk about a ten-point plan, which is similar to the Black Panthers ten-point plan. You talk about a modern-day Marshall Plan. The black community need all these things. We need all hands on deck. If we had some kind of modern-day Marshall Plan. They can they can build infrastructure within the black community, so-called empowerment zones, which, which Obama half half behind uh, a big plan that never was followed up. But the, my point is that if you had people that followed through on these things and really cared about the black community, Slovenia, allow this violence to just dissipate uh, and, oh, gradually over time to a point where we'd be almost nil. But when you constantly got food deserts, Slovenia, poor schools, schools where, where, where a lot of our children go to don't have toilet paper, yeah. Teachers personally been they had to go out there, spend out their own pocket to buy toilet paper for the for the bathrooms and yet our tax dollars, just like white folks in the suburbs and the white neighborhoods, they, they their taxes go to their school to our, we pay taxes like they do and yet our, our children have to go to schools many times where they don't have a toilet paper, don't have decent running water, brown water come out of the water fountains, asbestos, you name it, you know what I mean? And we got all these Negroes in the office and just they let they, they allow this morning. They can, and all these niggas are talking about is, is the white racist Republicans that down on something, this one and that. I don't know all that this stuff. You in a position that the you're not doing it, and that's we have to we have to hold these Negroes accountable. Like for example, I used another analogy. You are, you are, when the, the late Elijah Cummings, the, the um, congressman from down in the state of Maryland who died the other year, he was another one. He you know he called Donald Trump a racist, and, and, and a lot of black folks ups, got upset when Donald Trump called him out and said, well, you've been in office all these years. As a congressman, you've been a powerful Ways and Means Committee. You've been a financial committee. You was in a position to, 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 to fix up your home city of Baltimore, and, and it looked like a hellhole and stuff, and black people called him racist. And I'm saying, I, I, said, I know Donald Trump was big. I don't need nobody to tell me that, but the point is that is what the man said is true. You were in a position to change that, and, 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 and you didn't do a damn thing while you've been in office all those years, but yet you can sit there and call, call the man a racist like you're telling me uh, something, Sister Levine, that we already know, and, and see what gets me and stuff. Now, he going to call Trump a racist, but here the irony in all this, Sister Levine, this is from how the games they turn out people. One of his best friends while he was in Congress was Mark Meadows. Donald Trump's former chief of staff, who now is defying Congress, you know, with those, you know, uh, emails and all this stuff that Congress want from him. So, I mean, you 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 friends with, with Trump's boy, but you calling a man a racist. He's kind of silly game Negroes play on our people, Sister Venus. So you wonder how you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand why our people continue to suffer what we suffer because we got these sorry ass Negroes in office that play games with our people, our our children catching hell, our people incarcerated. We 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 
number one when it comes to illnesses like cancer, hypertension, you name it. You know, we we number one when it comes to things like that. We we problem when it comes to social economic issues and stuff like that. Because we got these sorry ass black politicians on the city, and I make it clear, Slovenia on the city, state, and federal level, who are not doing what they supposed to do for their people. It's just that simple. You don't have to, you ain't the, you have to reinvent the wheel. It is what it is. Until we until we stop voting for these people on stuff, we are gonna continue to get what we get as the old saying goes. And I close with this to Slovenia. As the old saying goes, the sanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And that's just the bottom line. And I and I and I and I'll, and I'll get off Elliot and I'll and put me on mute and I'll listen to the to the rest of the show. Thank you for your contribution, bro. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I, I I agree. I agree. I agree with him. Um and and from my position when it comes to like politicians and everyone, like I believe 99% of people are exploiting and extorting the black community. And that's just to put it frankly. Um, do I vote for these people? No, I do not. I, I don't believe in voting for the lesser of two evils. I don't believe in that. If I don't think you're going to do right by my people, I'm not going to vote for you. I'm not going to stand with you. So I don't even play those games. Um, and as we talked about, you know, the different things that have happened, uh, for many people that know me, like I work against uh, mass incarceration, like I'm a heavy advocate for um, political prisoners, like all of those things. So I do take it personal when I feel like wrong has been done to them, when I feel like they've been disrespected. And I vocalize that and I stand up against it unapologetically so there are challenges you know that some of us face when we have to make a decision on whether or not to um give some people a try right you gotta say hmm do i give you a try do i let do i see if you have actually changed or you're willing to work like that is a struggle that i think many of us have when making these decisions but i also know that you have to um, you have to have standards and you have to have boundaries and you have to say, this is my expectation of you. And if you do not meet this, then I no longer have to engage with you. And I'm talking about people that are um, in high positions and stuff, because we got to be patient with our brothers and sisters that are out here that are just average like us. But those who took an oath, those who say they have authority, I got to hold you to this standard. And if you can't meet this, then I got to keep it moving. So I, I, I think, you know, we just have to be smarter in our dealings and our interaction, and we have to set the tone. Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, 314. Just jumped on. 314, comment or question? Yes, hey. Mm-hmm. Hey, Elliot, I enjoy the show as always. I think it's a fantastic show going on tonight. Uh, I, I think I, I really admire the young lady and what she's doing. And one of the things that I've gotten from what she's saying is that the problem is very complex. It, it's a complex problem. Uh, politicians alone can't solve it. It has multi points. It appears to be spiritual, social, economic, and another aspect, a number of aspects to it. Uh, and I, I think one of the key points that I keep hearing from her is that you really have to control your destiny to determine your future. You really have to take things into your own hands and then move forward with them. 
Uh, I, I realize politicians are not doing a good job, but churches are not doing a good job, and social services are not doing a good job. And one of the things I admire that she's doing, she's trying to pull all those groups together uh, to try to get the job done. And one of the most complex, and I think one of the most debilitating parts about it is you don't want to become like a wave in the water. You know, you go through a community, and then as you pass through, it kind of re- resorts back to its old old aspects and the way it was before. So you make an impact like a wave, and then it just goes back to its old impact. I think this is a very complex uh, problem. I think a lot of politicians don't know how to solve it. I think we're asking them sometimes to do something that they really don't know how to do. I think the social service aspect, like uh, the community organizer like she is, they have a better understanding of what's going on in the community because you really can't understand a community like Philadelphia, like St. Louis, like Chicago, unless you're amongst the people in that community really feeling the heartbeat and feeling what the people are doing. You could throw some funds in there, and the government throws funds in there, but those funds, you don't know where they're going. So it has to be almost a surgical process is what we have to do. So uh, I admire what she's doing. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. I think her efforts are not in vain. I think they will go a long way, and my hope is that somebody else will pick up the ball and move forward. Uh, remember, pastors just know how to preach. They try to be social activists sometimes, and they don't do a very good job at it. Politicians try to do it, and they're not good at it. Uh, but the social activists, I think that is the – if you're going to be in politics, I think you should spend some time as a social organizer to understand truly who you're representing, and then you'll understand who you're representing. You can truly understand how to represent those people is what you can do. When you get to Washington, you'll get caught up in the, in the politics and all that. You will lose sight of that. You're only home on some weekends. How could I run my family if I'm only there on weekends? You know, you really have to be there. And it's the local aldermen, the local politicians, and all those guys. That make. And then my final point is, it is venues like this that get the word out. Because as you say, there's not very many. The, one of the hardest things that hit the black community was when the black radio stations left. It was the ears to the community of what was going on. And now you really can't. You get that crazy music, but you really don't find out what's going on in the community. So I applaud venues like this, which I make sure I listen to every Sunday to find out exactly what's going on out there and what's happening. So you can put your ear to the community. So uh, my, my, my congratulations to you, uh, young lady. I think you're doing an incredible job. And uh, I'm a Christian, so I say God bless you, okay? Thank you. God bless you, too. Before you leave us, because I know that you, oh, he, um, a call, call back call. I got a question I want to ask you because uh, Richard, I think he's from the St. Louis area, and I just want to ask him in retrospect about things that have happened since uh, the murder of Freddie Gray. I think that was in 2015, wasn't it? Or 16? What was that, Richard or Sister Lavinia? Do you remember? I think that might have been 2015. Okay. Yeah, well, maybe. maybe even fourteen. I I know that was that was one of the things that um, lit a fire under me too. It was one. I of mean, the, you know what? Trayvon I... Martin and Freddie. I knew that if you want something different, you got to get out there in the streets. You can't hope that other people are going to do it. Okay, you know what? Yeah, I think he jumped back on. I just want to ask you a question in relation to 
uh, what the sister's doing here in Philadelphia. Uh, some of the things that have happened in uh, in St. Louis, and I said Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray was in Baltimore. Uh, the brother's name escapes me. What was the young man's name that was murdered down there? In Michael Brown. Michael Brown, that's right. Talk about some of the things that have happened since uh, since Michael Brown uh, was murdered. Because uh, a lot of things were going on before that. But talk about some things that have happened in retrospect looking at the situation now. St. Louis is a segregated city in terms of black and white, but also in terms of black. Uh, St. Louis residents in St. Louis City and St. Louis residents in St. Louis County for years have had difficulty working together to solve solutions, but have failed to realize that they're both connected. Uh, what we heard was a lot of noise after Michael Brown uh, uh, was killed. A lot of funds was pitched in. We had individuals step up, some stepped up to get the notoriety of, you know, hey, I'm a community organizer. And some stepped up and tried to do the job, but there was more conflict than anything, more conflict. Uh, we had individuals come into town and they were told to get out. We've got the situation. So what has happened since Michael Brown, and this is my opinion, and I feel very firm about this, we have re- re- reverted back to where we were prior to Michael Brown. Uh, we're going through the same situations that Philadelphia is going through, schools closing, gentrification, uh, segmented aspect, and all those. Uh, you've got a strong representation in Ferguson area where black businesses are trying to establish a foothold there, but are finding a lot of opposition. And one of the things that we're finding that we have is we have a lot of politicians in the St. Louis area who really don't understand the whole network of how to get things done. Uh, we're, we're at the mercy of the funding like Philadelphia is. We're at the mercy of getting us more money. Our schools are, are simply just moving away. St. Louis City, which at one time was 51% black, is now regressing back to it's like 47% black. In a very short time frame, we'll find that St. Louis City is predominantly white. And we'll find that St. Louis County and Ferguson will become predominantly black. The bad thing about that is that St. Louis County is more white than black. So the St. Louis City, which is predominantly black, is becoming uh, more predominantly white, and St. Louis County become diluted. So the voice of black people in St. Louis County is becoming less. So we, we did not have a firm plan to move forward, and that plan over time began to dwindle and fall, fall apart. Uh, and we've been moved based on when incidents take place of injustice, but once those incidents go away, we tend to resort, resort back to what we've been doing before, our daily activities. Uh, we've got a crime spree in St. Louis that is unheard of. It just resorts back. And we have a black mayor. We have a black uh, female uh, uh, congressman, uh, Corey Bush. We have a black police chief. We're very similar to Philadelphia. We have the main key people. In, the politicians in St. Louis are African-American. We have the mega churches. We have, all those, we have all the parts that every black city has, but those parts still have not come together. And we do have some activists like the young lady who are trying to make a difference, but sometimes they feel like they are a stone in a big lake trying to push that boulder uphill or trying to change the water. And people are not working with them, but they're working with them with lip services, what's happening. So uh, we're in a bad situation that has to get better because I don't see how it can get any worse at this particular point in time. Uh, it, it is just, it, it is disorganized chaos and we're better people than that we're better people than that. and i'll say this and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll be quiet uh st louis has always been last and moving forward on black movements 
uh, we, with Philadelphia, Atlanta, and all those groups, uh, cities, Baltimore tend to move forward. We really didn't start moving forward until Michael Brown hit. Michael Brown hit. It racial prejudice has been taking place for years. I grew up in a city right next to that, and then they took that incident to kind of say, "Way, wow, we need to do something about it." But now it's the same situation. The same police departments, all that are still there. They'll bring in some police chief from a black city. He'll stay there for three years. He's leave. The voters vote back in a white police chief, and it goes right back to where it was before. So the band-aid, we, we've fallen for the old band-aid trick is what we get what we get hit with all the time. Brother, thanks for your contribution. Thank you. All right. Uh, Sister Vineyard, that's why I like to kind of hear from people from other areas of the country. And, Richard, you can attest to this. Uh because they give us a different perspective uh, to what's going on. And we see some of the same things happening in all of these cities and the same playbook that is used against black people is used in these other areas. So um, the control of this is in our hands. We can, we can make the difference. Um, I'm glad that you're working with some of these, uh, especially the faith-based organizations because they still hold sway in our communities. And uh, a lot of people still participate in the churches and they can change the dynamic of these communities. So Mm -hmm. it's good that you kind of getting them involved. Yeah, it was to us. It's about everybody having accountability. We can't come and be in the communities and say, Hey, you know, you just did this action. and You need to have accountability for it because your action is not something that we would do. Right. We tend to hold people up. Um, in their dirt when they when we can relate to it when we are okay with it but when we're not that's when we shame we shun we abuse we dispose of them we got to have accountability all around the board for all the things that we are doing that is not it's not (laughs) um in a in a, a good African way that's going to help us go towards liberation and truly be liberated, we have to call it out. If it's detrimental to us as a people, we need to call it out. We have to be accountable. So the different groups that have influence, that have an impact, it's like you need to tell us why you don't want to stand with us. If we're saying no killings, no shootings, you need to tell us what's wrong with that. Why is it wrong to say, okay, we're going to stand with you on this? Because if you have a problem with it, then there's something really, really wrong. And we need to ask um, whose payroll you're on. That's what we, we, we have to ask that. So, you know, just, just challenging each other, making us be accountable and understanding that, you know, your actions will determine the fate of black civilization and black liberation. No one can save you but you. So you got to have accountability. You got to stand up and you got to take control. Sister Vinnie, before we uh, let you go, um, I just wanted to know a little calendar for things that might be coming up within the next couple of months. I know you might not be able to go too much further than that because of the situation that we're in and, uh, uh, and we don't know what's going to happen from month to month with this pandemic, uh, the shutting down and things of that nature. We don't know, but uh, 
some of the projected things that you want to accomplish maybe before the spring. Talk about some of those things. Um, so a continuation of bringing, um, bringing the people together um, for better work. So doing a lot more uh, counseling around it, a lot more um, group therapy. So that's what we, tr- well, at least in my lane, I try to focus on the group therapy okay. um, to have people hear each other. So we will be doing um, another series. And this one is going to be the garden party series. And with this, is focused on uh, nutrition, um, thinking about our toxic relationship that we have with food. So the things that are, are unhealthy for us in our community, how it impacts our behavior, because we did a survey on it. And um, over the last couple of years, we've been kind of looking at how people behave that eat terribly, how they think, how they feel. So when we're having bad days, I'm like, yeah, I'm not eating the best. So we want to just keep pushing that and and really working with each other. But as you stated, it's hard to predict the future because of the COVID and the different things that they say is happening out here. So we're kind of doing this virtual thing. So at least we'll be able to uh, reach people so they don't feel completely isolated we noticed that during the last shutdown that people felt isolated. They felt alone. We don't want people to feel like that. So we're going to continue to uh, do community wellness check-ins. Uh, we will continue to give out food. We're always going to be out there on the front line. Um, sometimes we drive the, uh, we did a delivery to people, like especially our elders, people that can't get out. We want to make sure that you still could get the fresh uh, fruits and vegetables, the produce that you need. So we'll continue those things. But as of now, yeah, like you said, we're just working on the schedule, trying to see what happens uh, with this virus. Well, um, you know, anytime you want to get the word out or or, uh, some of the uh, uh, meetings that you're having in in the community or even to rally the people to get involved in community policing, you can uh, pass the word along to Richard, and then we'll make sure it's announced on the air. Yes, thank you. Oh, and especially the school. I'm sorry. Okay. That is, like, that is the main focus, too, for us right now, because when the schools shut down and, you know, it's hard for the young people on Zoom, we provided, like, you know, if we had an outdoor classroom, and we said, okay, you know, with tutoring and people to be able to come to. So we really need to get this building um, built. So we need all the help, all the support, um, getting the word out there as much as possible. Because like the last caller just said, people are complaining about the schools, you know, the problems. So it's like, wait, let's not complain. Let's pour money into our own schools. Let's build our own building. So that is our focus. For, for this spring. That is what I will be working on. Okay. You know, Ellie, before we um, close it, I, and when she was talking about the healing, uh, I'm a, you know, I like to see it um, in the programming. Sister Lavina, we can talk about it later, but, um, you know, we have had um, Dr. Fox on, and one of his things is about the mental state and the value system. So how that, you know, maybe the whatever kind of an augment of that support can occur, um, you know, 
might be um, helpful in this because I, you know, in hearing, as the brother said, hearing what's going on, um, there is got to be a cause. And if the state of our, our the state of our psycho-emotional self, um, not just the individuals that need the service, but those who think that they're healthy um, in these mm-hmm. different areas, um, if that is it, then we have to make it, um, we have to address that in a, in a public empathetic and with a voice that doesn't be uh, condemning more than um, therapeutic and, and, and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to throw it out there, you know, and Dr. Fox, if you're listening, this is a call to you. <laughs> <laughs> you put, put, put him on the spot, Richard. <laughs> I ain't playing with us. I mean, we're going to build a society. I'm, I'm looking at these guys. In 1835, saying, let us not lament that under the present uh, constituent powers of this government, we are disenfranchised. Better far than the partakers of its guilt, let us refuse to be allured by the glittering endowments of official stations or enchanted with the role of American citizenship but let us choose like true patriots rather than be the victims of oppression than the administrators of injustice. I mean, this is 1835. And and they wasn't holding any political office at that time. Were they? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Okay. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They were, they were taking, you know, this position. We are governing, they were taking the responsibility for governing our society, <laughs> recognizing the environment we're in. And and this is this is the organizing, and that's what I hear um, with you know Sister Lavinia, um, you know Brother Tommy, and all those others we have that we're taking, and it ain't no easy job. And it, and as you know, Sister McKinney said, we can't have those of us who know better standing on the sidelines. Yeah. We can't have that. That's all. I'm saying. Sister Lavinia, I want to thank you for being with us and. Uh... We'll talk to you soon. The door is always open. Yes, thank you both for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. And as always, um, so much love. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to speaking with you both again. So, Talk to you soon. Take care now. Good night. Peace. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll start winding down the program. I, I want to get the... Uh, West back on after the break too, Richard, because he wanted to mention something about the political environment down in, in Georgia. So we'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. 
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumitv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. We 
have a message to the black man. Because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock. Nobody takes the black man serious. We're just used to be somebody's tool. We are the sportsmen. We're the singers and the dancers. And we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers and the killers and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you. Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand. Then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 917 here on the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Richard. Yes. That was an interesting conversation yes. uh, that we had with uh, Sister Lavinia representing uh Peace Park, uh, the organization over there that's doing great work in both those neighborhoods in the city of Philadelphia. Um, You know, one of the things that really struck me, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of things that they're doing. 
and based mm-hmm. on, you know, your, your close association with them. But, uh, I didn't know that sister Vinnie was a, uh, um, a psychology major and a counselor in, in her, you know, in her personal life, her, her job. Uh, but the things that she stated, Richard, about, uh, a lot of the family dynamic now, which she has run into the overwhelming majority of is startling. And, 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 you know, and, and we have to give her kudos because she just, um, she just walked down the aisle, um, maybe two weeks ago. Okay. And, you know, she went and then, you know, stopped and went back, you know, and, and, and while she was doing this community organizing, went back and finished up her, her degree. So, you know, um, there's some, di- they are some dynamic people. That's a part of that, you know, that team, you know, which in itself, but the, the level of pain that's in our community, you can't have, and I, I know you can't make the correlation between poverty and, and, and social pain, right. You know, which I think that's what she, you know, brought out. Um, but you can't have 25, 30% people living in, 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 in that, in that kind of poverty, 50% in Philadelphia, like the state of Pennsylvania, I think is like more than 50% of the, um, the, the prison population comes out of the city of Philadelphia. You can't have that and not have pain. And, and, and the thing that we got to realize, Richard, is all of this is not happenstance. The system right. is set up. Yes. So this can happen. I mean, we, we got to realize that we can't, you know, people might think that certain conversations is revolutionary or, 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 or a separatist, but we got to do, if we expect to have future generations without this trauma, we got to do something about this situation that we're living in. And the right. people that we live among, it's it's clear. Right. You can't get around it. If you if you got these, if you have uh, uh, created a situation, and especially from the eighties moving on, it was already involved. You know, black families dealing with joblessness and, and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. But when you threw that crack into back. into a black family, you just destroy generations. And the trauma that's going on with these children, when you put them in foster care, having them being raised with other people, uh, forcing them on grandparents who have kind of lived their life, they're seniors now, you, you really, it's a, it's, a, it's a hell of a dynamic that we're dealing with. And the only person that can correct it is us. Right. This man is not going to correct. He, he, he created the situation. Right. He ain't going to do nothing about it. And, and you know, Elliot, when, you know, as you were saying that, and, and I know I was listening as you, as I was, the thought came to me because, you know, we talk about the critical race theory, right? And, and I think you, you were wanting to say it ain't a theory, it's a fact. But one of the, the points is that imagine if we looked at the policies, which are laws and the laws that are, were put in place to reinforce this condition that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. If we were, if we were informing young people to do the critical thinking, to look at the laws and then make that correlation between the behaviors we see in our community, then you can understand why this society, this, this group within society don't want us to even investigate that or to want us 
and they're going to come up with, well, that's going to make you hate, hate black, white children. It's going to make you hate yourself. But to look at the laws that created the condition to where people are feeling this kind of pain, then people can understand, right? We ain't, they ain't making us look at the laws. Somebody put them laws in place. Exactly. And the laws govern the social behavior. Not an individual behavior, the social behavior. Hmm. Ain't going to hire in this area. We're going to redline this area. We ain't going to give them, you know, like those are policies. Exactly. And they were, Richard, you could see clearly that the early part of the the 20th century is when they changed it. Most white, that's when the middle class was created and it was created for whites to move them out of a different position. Before that, you heard what Minister Farrakhan said in that collage. A few of us got a little money. A few of us got positions and the masses of our people is going steadily down. Well, that's how the system is set up for the masses of black people to fall steadily down. And and most black people is, is, is reaching for this carrot. So they can be one of the few that got a little money, right? Whether it be a be an entertainer, whether it be a sports, a basketball, football, that's that's the carrot that they're reaching for. Where I can, I don't have to be like the masses of these black people. The system is set up that way. It's not set up for whites to be uh, where a few whites have a little money, a few whites have positions, while the masses of whites is going steadily down. That's not how the system is set up. If you look at these figures, the ma- the majority of white people or the masses of white people are in the middle class bracket, mm-hmm. and and have and have wealth exactly not, not income wealth of two hundred or one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars that they can be able to pass on, and they telling us that we don't even have a hundred dollars if just a thousand dollars at most, and by twenty thirty. With the COVID, we won't have not as a group, as a social group. I ain't talking about no individual. As a social group, we will have no wealth. I mean, people will be home. Everybody will be homeless. If that don't tell us that we got to do something about this, I don't know what does. Most of our people at the turn of the century, Richard, was was tradesmen. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we came out of a situation where we was doing everything for this man. So it was, mm-hmm. stands the reason that we were tradesmen. And knew how to do everything. But once he started changing those laws around and created them trade unions where you had to have a piece of paper in order to work on these sites mm-hmm. and kept blacks out of these unions, then the next thing you know, whether you knew how to do a trade or not, you wasn't getting no work. Mm-hmm. You wasn't getting no work with no big money. You couldn't get exactly. And we're still talking about 5% of the government contracts. And, 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 ex- and it's, exactly. And it's still like that. <laughs> nobody talk about what's the percentage of black companies that got corporate contracts in the supply chain. Hmm. Yeah, so. let, well, let me grab him before we kind of wind up because he wanted to mention something. Let's go back to 404. 404. Yes, sir. Brother Elliot Richard. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Elliot, man. Uh, down here, uh, I'm glad you exposed old Wonock, man. I ain't like him for when uh when uh that night they killed Troy Davis and I tell you a uh, boycott Georgia, he looked at me stupid. But uh yeah, yeah. But Wonock, he 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 think he gonna run unimposed, but 
this brother in the Democrat uh, uh, in, in Republican Party, his last name King. So uh, 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 he he running for senator too. And uh, but check this out. Also, you got dumbass Herschel Walker trying to run against Warnock, man. That 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 uh, he he in the Republican Party because uh, Warnock, I mean uh, uh, Herschel is is Trump boy, mm. okay. And so uh, Herschel, his his stuff is unraveling, man. I I, I know about Herschel, man. My granddad worked at University of Georgia, and he went down in the South Georgia to bring Herschel to Athens, man. And my my uh, uh 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 my cousin told me everything about Herschel. They had to make his ass country ass go take a bath, but he told a damn bath too much, man. But anyway, uh, and plus Herschel got problems with his his wife, where he was uh, uh got into it with her. And also, uh, 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 about it. he lied by he said he graduated from school. He was, man, Herschel had to have people taking his work for him in school, man. But anyway, this brother in the Republican Party, he's gonna be running against Herschel. So, uh, uh, his, his last name, the brother last name King, man, in the Republican Party. But see, what I'm trying to get my people to do, man, is we got to start doing like a lot of other groups are, man. Start backing candidates in both parties, man. Okay, find candidates in both parties. So we tell them whoever wins, we win. You see what I'm saying, Elliot? Rich, that's game right there. That, that's playing chess. And so uh, 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 my initiative is you get 50% of uh, 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 black voters. Just vote the Republican on this time, on, on, on the primaries. So we can get Warnock to do the run against Warnock in the, in the uh, general, and also we can get uh, 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 the dude Vernon Jones. He claimed to be one Trump boy. He black. He Republican Party. He running for governor too. So if we can get fifty percent of just black people to vote Republican to get Vernon Jones to run against uh, 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 Stacey Abrams in, in, in the in the general. It'll be black on black on black in four parts uh, for the governor. And that'll tear these redneck people up, man. You see, a uh, choice for two uh, candidates be black governor and black senator, man. Boy, that, 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 that's why I love my man that you had on there from, uh, we're talking about Georgia a couple of months ago, man. He was right on the money. We got to start using our brain. And, uh, about that sister. She's smart, man. She reminds me of a uh, 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 young Francis Crest Weldon, man. The way she talked, that's just smart, man. She's smart and she she know what's up. But uh, yeah, yeah, the dude named King that's, that's uh, hopefully gonna beat Warnock, man. If we can get him to face Warnock in the general, then we can bump Warnock out, man. Because I'm telling everybody exposing Warnock for what he is, man. He talking about he the king of the Jews and Zionists, man. <laughs> and then. And then he also, huh? He said that. Rich. Did he say that? Yeah, Elliot. Well, yeah, Elliot said he, so he that, that's his group. Yeah, he said that he was going to be. Oh, you remember when he said he was going to be a representative of uh, a Jewish right. representative of Congress? Right. That's true. I remember. Man, a lot of people didn't know that. I'm glad you you did good, Elliot. You exposed it, man. Well, I didn't expose it. It was in a published report. I just read it. <laughs> and also, Warnock. Him and his ex-wife, man, they got into it where she saying he tried to run over in the car and all this, man. And plus, he's giving out the shout 
at Dr. King Church, man. You got people homeless sleeping in front of that damn church, man. Okay, right in Dr. King Church, in the front door, they sleep sleep on the floor, man, outside the church in the cold, man. Okay, one out is, is garbage, man. Well, I, I just wanted to see y'all in on, 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 on what's going on down here, man. Because uh, 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 that dude, man, I, it's something about it. I don't like it, man. But anyway, I'll I just let y'all know, man, you know, for what's going on down here, man. Well, you know, I I seen uh, his his son was on uh, the Black New. I I didn't know that was his son. His son, oh my goodness, it might be just a chip off the old block. Did you did you see his son on there with uh, Richard? No, no. His son was on there with uh, Lamont Hill. On the, on, oh my boy! Yeah, well, they no more. Mm. Yeah, and son, worse than Dwayne words, Dwayne son and Magic son. Man, I don't know what happened to these some stars, man. They sure coming out all sideways like that, man. Oh, I wasn't even talking about his uh, preference. I was talking about his political views. <laughs> Oh, bro. <laughs> his, son, his son was a cheerleader, man. He was a cheerleader. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, man, this stuff crazy, man. I, it's, anyway, I ain't gonna get to say nothing about the man's son, but he way out there, man. But I'm, I'm hoping if I get out, I have people to start thinking outside the box, man, and start uh, uh, back in candidates on both parties till we get our third party, man. Mm-hmm. You got to start thinking out the box now, man. Not putting all our eggs in one damn box all the time, man. And deal with that one group let us down. Then we walking around with our lips poked out, man. I'll just say this, um, Brother West, and I understand your point. But until we have a, a, indep- a independent, don't have to be a party, but an right. independent political body um, that makes, that cultivates the candidates, that drafts the policies, that those people who will go in the party, if that's going to be the case, then we will yeah. be um, at a disadvantage, in my opinion. You know, yeah, you're right, man. It's good to have an independent party, but at least have an independent political mechanism that cultivates, because you have to, and that's where, um, you know, the Abrams, all, you know, are they now, from what I get, they are part of the Democratic Party. They're not independent, yeah. but they're cultivating. Um, future candidates, but we need to have people who are independent. That is self-governing, yeah. you know, and that will take um, resources that we have to be able to supply in order to create that. Not that we haven't done it before; it's just that I'm looking at the 1835. We 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 had uh, independent in, in the 1800s. Why isn't that that system still operating, even if it morphed? In 2021, why, why? people always want to try to fit in mm-hmm. and try to assimilate. It's 
instead of doing our own thing. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Hmm. I, I I agree with you, man. I, I but see, I study the art of war. I always take what the enemy gives me and use it to our advantage, man. That's the art of war. Okay, till we can get our own thing. That's how you do it, man. You take what the enemy gives you and use it to your advantage, and you got you got them every time. But anyway, I'm gonna let somebody else talk. I appreciate it, Elliot. You just, uh, 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 I love y'all, man. I like, I like y'all. Be thankful, man. Like to thank, like Richard. You do. You got a brain. I love y'all, man. Y'all <laughs> make you think, think, man. Make you think. Use your damn brain, man. I love it, man. <laughs> talk to you. It's all. Damn, I, I thought I, I thought I was the scarecrow. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, uh, Richard, uh. You know, before we go, um, I've seen that uh, Desmond Tutu uh, made transition. I did see that. Uh, and, and also, I didn't mention it last week, um, and I called uh, Obi uh, Igbona Jr. because I met uh, Russell Schultz, the son, mm -hmm. uh, through Obi. He had a business on Baltimore Avenue in Philadelphia, okay. and, I, and he did some uh, work for me. And... Uh, I, I haven't reached out to him yet, but uh, his dad, one of the freedom fighters that was a political prisoner, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, passed on uh, the 17th of this month. Um, after being in jail 50 years, he was almost, I think he was the longest yeah. political prisoner. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they let him out. Uh, I mean, he had prostate cancer, and then he had stage four colorectal cancer, and he had caught COVID. But they let him out on November the second, and he passed away. He didn't even last a month. But uh, I just want to uh, to acknowledge the man and thank him for his service. Uh, you know, he he spent thirty years, Richard, of those fifty years. Thirty years was in solitary, or a little more than thirty years in solitary confinement. That's incredible. That. I don't know how the man kept his sanity. You know, the UN right. states that solitary confinement is not to exceed 15 days or it's categorized as torture. 15 days, Richard. Not a year, 15 days. And he spent over 30 years in solitary confinement and was still able to keep his sanity. And several of those men, Mumia, several others, have spent years in solitary confinement. And besides grassroots people trying to speak up for them, leadership don't even, it, it, you don't hear those men's names coming off their lips. It, it's, 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 you know, I, I kind of revert back to to talking about these people, but I, I, it, that's just me. It, you know, don't put yourself in leadership if you're not going to try to lead our people. We're in bad shape. We're in dire straits in this system. And we need people that's serious not, not uh, as you say, Richard, political entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. The, um, the two other things, too, I just want to, uh, just, just for food for thought, to realize the system that we live under, although we, we, we realize it. It was an article in, in Al Jazeera. In fact, both of these was in Al Jazeera. Uh, the other day, let me read this, Richard, briefly. It says, South Africa objects 
to the auction of Nelson, Nelson Mandela's cell key. The cabinet, mm-hmm. the cabinet minister demands cancellation of the U.S. auction of a key to the prison cell in Cape Town where Mandela was jailed. A South African cabinet minister is demanding the cancellation of an upcoming auction in the United States of the key to the Robin Island prison cell in Cape Town where the late Nelson Mandela, the country's first black president and internal, internally renowned uh, rights activist, was long jailed for his opposition to apartheid. The key is among Mandela's memorabilia being sold by Gershsey's auction house in New York on January 28th. Most of the items were provided by members of Mandela's family to raise funds for a planned museum and garden around his grave. While the key is being sold by Mandela's former jailer who became his friend. It's unfathomable for Gershwin, which is clearly aware of the painful history of our country and the symbolism of that key to consider auctioning the key without any consolation with the South African government, the heritage authorities in South Africa and Robin Island museum minister of arts, agriculture, uh, Natai Mathua. I know I'm butchering that name said in a statement on Friday, the key belongs to the people of South Africa under the care of Robin Island Museum and the South African state. It is not anyone's personal belonging. The key must be returned to its rightful owner with immediate effects, and this auction must be halted, Mathua said, adding that he, it was uh, that he was discussing with authorities the appropriate steps that must be taken to stop the auction and secure the return of the key to South Africa. In response, the auction house said that the proceeds of the sale are to raise funds to build a memorial garden and a museum around Mandela's burial site. Uh, Mandela's oldest daughter approached uh, Gersey's to hold an auction of Mandela's memorabilia. Uh, We are honored to sell many of the items from the Mandela family. Uh, the 33 auctions, the 33 objects to be auctioned include one of Mandela's uh, clothing, shirts, gifts uh, from former heads of state, as well as items signed by Mandela and artwork. The key to his former sale was one of three items put up for sale uh, in Mandela's by Mandela's Robin Island jailer. Um. You know, that, that kind of reminds me, Richard, uh, of uh, this thing with James Brown and this uh, publishing company that bought uh, all of his rights to all of his music, the masters, his name, everything, because of a family squabble uh, over uh, his estate. Mm-hmm. They just they just settled that. They, they did well. That art, that, that publishing company or whatever I don't have it in front of me, mm-hmm. bought it and been supposedly paid the family millions of dollars. But you know, you know that kind of goes towards what we need to do as a people. We need to. I know sometimes we don't want to look at that, 
but we need to get our business fixed mm-hmm. uh, where these things don't happen. I mean, you got uh, a European auction house selling all the man's personal effects. They should be over there with his family. His family should have those things. And they should be passed down uh, to, to the generations of his family. Mm-hmm. And the country that, you know, considered him a hero. Not to be in some white guy's house. And then let me read this other um, article uh, dealing with the same thing. This was in Al Jazeera. The header says, how did the United States become a major hub for stolen ancient artifacts? That's the, the question of the header. Efforts to prevent cultural theft cannot keep up with the illicit multi-billion dollar industry. If you are if you are in the market for a coffin from the time of the pharaohs in Egypt or uh, gold from the empire, then you've come to the right place. The United States is a major hub for illicit trade in ancient artifacts. Buyers and sellers can take advantage of lax regulations to make deals on statues and clay tablets fairly easily. So, you, I mean, you got all this stuff here. This country ain't nothing. They're just about making a dollar. Mm-hmm. Whether you're mm-hmm. talking about stuff like this or whether you're talking about these so-called vaccines. Right. It's about making a dollar and making money is the bottom line. And hopefully selling it to other countries. Mm. I mean, I, I just uh, wanted to throw that out there because when I read that thing about the, you know, his demand, the, the uh, Mandela's stuff being auctioned at, at an auction house he in ja- uh, January up in New York, all his personal effects. In, uh, in other words, he, he is, he is being, he, is being in with that placed on the auction block again. I mean, you know, and his family says that it's for a garden and a uh, uh, a museum at his gravesite. Why do they have to sell his personal effects in the United States to some old white folk? You know, so that can happen. You're in a country where he was president, and it's a lot of our people there with money. Why do they have to go to that level? I don't understand it. Me neither. Brown had a bunch of ch- Brown. I think he had nine children, and they were fighting over that estate. And then the woman that he had married, the, the white woman, they uh, after legal wrangling, they found that she was ineligible to get the proceeds because she was married at the time she married him. She was a bigamist. Mm. So, I mean, you, if Brown had his business fixed, he could have arranged it where, you know, with the, if he didn't know or didn't uh, uh, trust the judgment of certain of his children, where he could have appointed certain children to handle certain affairs. Mm-hmm. When you just leave all you think to nine different, and, and, and it's going to cause problems. And now, white folks got his hands on all his masks. This man tried to uh, handle business in a certain way when he was alive. And now the same people that he tried to keep masses out of the hands of, it's in a room it goes right back into his hands after he's gone. Boy. Yeah, I just, just wanted to throw that out there in relation to, uh, to Mandela's objects being sold 
you know, by by his oldest daughter. It didn't mention. I think he had other. Didn't he have two or three daughters, Richard? I'm not I mistaken. Never, I never really um, heard or seen anything about his family. Yeah, I, I think he had more than what just one daughter, but it mentions this one daughter here. So I don't know whether he left her in charge of the affairs or what has happened. But uh, she's selling a lot of his memorabilia up there in New York. And the country is trying to put a stop to it. So we'll see what happens in relation to that. That's a good point. Uh, listen, uh, before we leave today, just want to give the lineup for time for an awakening media. And I just want to uh, wish Brother Oshi a speedy recovery. He had, uh, was in the hospital there, Richard. Uh, had a little shortness of breath, but uh, I think he's coming along pretty good. Uh, hopefully, he'll, he'll start back on live shows soon. But uh, just wanted to let everybody know that uh had a little health issue, and uh, he ought to be back up and running soon. We just uh, just keep him in our thoughts. Uh, but uh, until then, you'll hear some uh, the best of <laughs> African perspectives uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, always interesting guests and topics on uh, African Perspectives. That's with Brother Oshia's host. Later on that evening, uh, Black Therapy Central from 8 to 9 with Dr. Uh, Maria Combine and and, uh, and Dr. Kamal Combine. And that's another show that's on hiatus because the Combines have repatriated to the continent. Oh, yeah. So I guess they're getting settled over there. I guess they're going to be starting up again soon. So, yeah, they, they've, uh, they've repatriated to the continent. Uh, also, Richard, we have, um, I got to, uh, share with you the information. Um, Quadjo, uh, sent me some information on, on, uh, uh, a couple of the countries over there is off. And you remember how the sister was telling us from Sierra Leone that, uh, um, if people want to repatriate, how they could do it, how they could, you know, build, have a house built and things of that nature. Right. Uh, Quadjo said that the, uh, folks that contacted him and they, well, uh, he's going to arrange for them to be on the program. Oh, where great. they can come on and they can talk about uh, if folks want to repatriate to Ghana, uh, how they could do it, how they can have a home built. Uh, man, I'm telling you, it's just it, things is different, man. I, that's all I'm saying. You, you know, you live in a home here and you see how much it costs, and then you see how much it costs for for a decent place and other places, and you'd be wondering, like, what the hell? What, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But uh, it'll be good for, you know, to share the information because uh, a lot of people have repatriated, Richard. Yeah, I hear. Uh, to different countries. I mean, not just to Ghana, to different right. countries on the continent. And love it. I ain't heard no complaints. So, you know, I, I just uh, thought about that in relation to uh, to Jay. And I remember uh, uh, uh the brother X out of Chicago that would call all the time talking about leave, leave here. Well, it's, it's plenty of opportunities now if, if men want to go that, that they can do this in a sensible mm-hmm. way. So uh, hopefully, uh, and maybe January, February, uh, I got to talk with Quadjo when he's going to arrange it for the folks to come on and share this information with our listening audience. Um, on Tuesday from eight to 10 black reality think tank with Dr. William Rogers. On Wednesday, uh, it's our time, the Black Farmers Program from 8 to 9, and from 9 to 10, the Black Agenda Project would host Dr. David Muhammad. On Saturday, the elders of Sankofa from 7 to 9, with Brother Alfonso Watkins, and Time for an Awakening is back from 7 
on Sunday from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion. As always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school, they seem to be.
children to save the children 